Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 74th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Les Yetten and Tom Hazel, co-founders at Chaos Search. If there's one thing to say about today's guests, it's that you'd be hard-pressed to find two more qualified people to run a startup like Chaos Search than these two co-founders. Les is an experienced executive with multiple exits under his belt at companies like Dynamic Ops, Nucleus, Softricity, and others. Tom is not only a serial entrepreneur with his own level of success, but he is also an inventor of technology, which is something that always fascinates me in terms of how people are actually creating things, like in Tom's instance, new computer science algorithms for big data. Their current startup, Chaos Search, is the first log search and analytics platform built for AWS S3. The company recently announced $9 million in Series A funding, which was led by 406 Ventures and Glasswing Ventures with participation from Stage 1 Ventures. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Les and Tom's early background before Chaos Search and how the two co-founders met, the story behind Chaos Search and how it was founded, all the details on the company in terms of its technology, how they are helping companies and the market opportunity, why they each keep building companies, advice for first-time founders raising capital, the qualities they look for when hiring, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. We have some really exciting news to share. You can now listen to the VentureFizz podcast on Spotify. Last week, Spotify announced their belief in podcasting and will be dedicating a lot of effort to this category. Thus, I was really excited to have our show added. You can follow us by searching for VentureFizz and Spotify. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Tom and Les. Thomas and Les, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, this is the uh, second time that I've had a podcast discussion with two co-founders. So uh, I'm excited to talk to both of you about your backgrounds. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the current company that you're up to and then share some pieces of advice for other entrepreneurs that are trying to figure this uh, thing called startups out. Thomas, let's start with you. Uh, let's walk through your background. So I uh, went to college for computer science. I uh, love solving wonderfully theoretical uh, mathematical problems. and. Right after school, I went directly into datacom and telecom, and you can think of building monster boxes back in the heyday of the 90s. Um, Love to solve uh, the scale and distributed execution information uh, aspects, and then well, as this is Cabletron, so this is this like is Cabletron and an anchor uh, company. That's right. In the day. That's right. That's right. And they were, were super innovative. They were super innovative, and I worked for some brilliant people. So I got the bug of innovation and pushing the envelope um, during that tenure. And I left Cabletron to do startups, and it's initially in the telecom pushing the envelope. But then, as the telecom world was moving to the to the cloud, I said, you know, maybe I want to get into distributed OSs and virtualization and I helped found a company called Virtual Iron and we sold that company uh, to uh, Oracle and as I uh, uh, was selling that company I actually had a database as part of that effort of the sell and you know I've always liked to solve database problems, information theory problems, and distributor problems and Oracle wanted to buy this IP and after um, moving to Oracle I decided that maybe I want to do this full time being a real distributed guy and uh, you know working on these type of problems. So about five years ago, um, I knew that there was a hole in the market to, to, to scale information, uh, to really solve uh, how to store data at a small scale, a distributed scale. And so about five years ago, in essence, I cracked the code. The ability to take any data source, compress it beyond what people thought was capable, and do in a way that I could search it, both in text search and relational queries. And so with a seed of a technology and idea, 
uh, I reached out to Les uh, and uh, you know started Chaos Search. So let's dig a little bit deeper though. So like I'm always fascinated by people that actually build technology, like frameworks or databases. Like how does one go about like Michael Stonebreaker, right? He creates these databases. Like it's just fascinating. Like how does one actually create technology that can be used? You know, for other people in production. Well, you know, I think everyone has their different ways of uh, getting there. Uh, for me, uh, I like to look at a problem that hasn't been solved. And so, for instance, there were scale limits between relational systems uh, to get little nerdy B trees, LSM trees were kind of state of the art. Um, column stores started coming out with Stonebreaker, kind of led that effort. And the problem was that those systems still couldn't scale to the next magnitude or hundred magnitude of scale. And so seeing that there was a problem with indexing information as well as text searching information like Lucene, uh, that's another indexing technology out there. I knew I wanted to solve a problem of collapsing information as well as indexing or over indexing such that you can do it at a great uh, scale as well as cheap price. And so what I did was start working on compression algorithms. You know, how can I make a better compression algorithm? And while doing that compression algorithm study, I had an insight. The ability to do both text search and relational queries with a greatly reduced compression size on a single file format. And I knew that I didn't want to have a monolithical tree that classic databases like Stonebreaker would build. I knew I wanted to be distributed, maybe use edge computing to solve that. And I came up with this technology called Data Edge, which in essence cracked the code. And we have several patents pending on this technology. So, you know, it, you come at it different ways, but I like to start companies by having an idea of a problem to solve, solving that problem in technology, and then looking up and seeing where could I apply this tech in the market. Cool. Well, we're going to talk more about that in a bit. But Les, let's talk about your background, you know, as far as your experience and, and lots of companies that you've helped to build. Sure, Keith. Uh, thanks for having us here today. Um, so I started out in, in big companies and, and through the sales ranks. Uh, I, was, I was running a sales team at, at Unisys, if anybody ever remembers what Unisys was way back Remember in the day. And I was just getting kind of tired of that, that treadmill of the big company. And it was just kind of uh, fortuitous that I, a couple of young guys from Sweden who uh, were coming in to go to a Comdex show, if you remember those shows. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, Couple of young guys and um, got introduced to uh, them through a mutual uh, uh, contact, and they were building a tech company in Sweden. They were small; they were 13 people. Um, but the tech founder, the equivalent of Tom in that company, um, was building what was the first what we call a TCP/IP print server. Mm -hmm. So back in the client-server day, uh, if you wanted to connect printers to networks, you had to go through a file server, and they had a revolutionary new technology that would allow you to put printers anywhere. And then when they explained it to me, it, it was it was it was fascinating, and um, so I made a big jump. I, I quit my job at uh, um, at Unisys, and I came on board with these guys to help bring them into the U.S. They were only in Sweden, and we hit it off really well. I invested into the company. Um, long story short, we uh, uh, took that technology and that company from 13 people to 300, wow. up to 100 million in revenue. Uh, and ended up taking the company public on the uh, Stockholm Exchange. Uh, I lived over in Sweden for a couple of years, um, and it, it really got the bug of 
boy, you know, there's a lot more things you can do. It's a lot more interesting in this early stage startup world. What was the sales process like then as far as, you know, customer acquisition? <laughs> totally different. I mean, it wasn't a SaaS model. It was, right, it, was right. a, it was a physical product. So we were selling the product through traditional channels back in the day, like Ingram Micro and Datacom Warehouse mm-hmm. and Tech Data and those traditional two-tier distribution models where you have a dealer network and a distributor network and, and you sell the products and... Uh, um, Marketing, the internet didn't exist when we first started doing this, so we were selling through uh, advertisements in magazines like PC Week and Land Magazine. And, Which was that, that was like the form of growth hack in that. Right? Oh, yeah, no, that the, was, that the, was the totally, inserts. totally back in the day with the inserts that people tear out, and um, it was uh, just a whole different animal. So uh, it was it was a fun time, it was a good run, it was there for about eight years, um, and, and enjoyed it. Um, uh, you know, it got the bug to continue doing the, uh, the startup thing. And then from there, obviously, you saw great success with multiple startups. Yeah, I mean, a good one next was um, a company called Softricity, which uh, I think a lot of people in Boston might know. We were a pioneer in the uh, application virtualization space. So, so my, my career has kind of spanned client-server virtualization, and now what we're doing is, is in the cloud. And Softricity was one of those companies that was uh, born in the dot-com era. They raised a ton of money, and we raised a... $26 million before I came into it. The dot-com market collapsed in April of 2000. The investors essentially gave the CEO an ultimatum. Uh, you've got one quarter to uh, um, figure out whether or not this business has, has a future. Um, so I took a risk. I got involved with the CEO. I came into the company as the uh, chief operating officer. We took the company down from 80 people to a small core of people and the technical founder, and there's always a guy like Tom in those companies. There's always that, you know, that genius technical founder. And this guy was uh, named Stuart Schaefer. Uh, he uh, he articulated a vision for transferring the uh, or, or evolving the technology into the enterprise. So we were the first company to essentially um, pioneer the application virtualization space. We uh, grew the company to about 120 employees and ended up selling it to Microsoft in uh, 2006, which was a great exit for, for Boston. So it was uh, not, uh, you know, you, you see these startups and everybody has, you know, uh, visibility of like, you know, the exit and that's the last thing they remember. And and the, the journey from point A to exit to point B is um, is, is never a you know straight line. Right. Uh, it was an interesting run. It was a good exit. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. And then from there, Destone. Went to Destone, helped the CEO of that company, found Destone. The company ultimately was acquired by VMware. I got involved as the CEO of a uh, Israeli company, which was a lot of fun. Company, uh, uh, Israeli company called Neocleus that ended up selling to uh, uh, to Intel. Spent a bunch of time going back and forth to Israel. Never did that before. So part of being in the startup world is you get to kind of go to kind of cool places, and that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the interesting things I did um, to kind of take a little break was I worked over at Logbean for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that was fun because uh, I'd never worked, you know, in a leadership role in a public company before, and had an opportunity to uh, get involved with LogMeIn. Worked directly for the CEO of LogMeIn. Uh, they had acquired a company in the UK, and um, through uh, 
variety of reasons, hadn't uh, had the opportunity to really figure out what to do with the asset that they acquired. So I came in and helped them kind of figure out what to do with the company. Um, it was it was like working uh, within a startup, but within a funded enterprise. Mm-hmm. So it was a, the no-risk startup sort of thing. So um, this was Zively. It was Zively, yeah. So uh, we, we took the, the asset, we rebranded it as Zively mm-hmm. and, uh, and launched it as an Internet of Things uh, a technology and logged me and ultimately sold that asset to uh, Google, I think, uh, in the last couple of years. Okay. So kind of bringing it back together. So how did the, the two of you meet to, to start your current company? So we were both uh, living in Andover. Uh, I'm now full-time Boston, Bostonian, I guess. Uh, but uh, we had a common VC friend that uh, connected us. And you know, he knew that I love solving wonderfully hard problems. And he knew less and loved to do startups and, and do challenging things. And he brought us together. We had coffee um, over in Andover. And uh, I said, I think I cracked the code. I think I figured something out. I think I have a premise, but it's raw. I have algorithms and, uh, and, a, and a prototype, but you know, what do you think about this idea? And, and we talked it over, we got to know each other pretty well. And I was like, you know, let's go to our contact list in Boston and start vetting this idea. And we were early. Um, now, if you look three you know, plus years ago, um, it seems so clear about what we're doing, but you know, uh, back then it was high risk, uh, but you know, high reward. And so let's talk about chaos search. Like, what what are you doing today? You want to go? Yeah. So you know, the premise of chaos search is taking Amazon's first service, S3 storage, cloud storage, is now the de facto place everyone dumps data. And this was before any services were around Amazon to try to you know derive some value from that. And with this technology that I created, I said, what if we allowed someone on their S3 storage do text search and relational on their account? And uh, you know, we knew that the cloud was the future. Time results, particularly at big data scale, was wonderfully hard when data is messy and chaotic. Um, it could take weeks, months to try to wrangle and normalize data to put into a particular silo for maybe text search and their silo for relational. I said, what if we create a service in the cloud, let's say go to Amazon first, that in essence, you connect your S3 storage and within minutes, you are grabbing insights of terabytes of data, billions of, of objects, and you see the value of what's going on you know, with a fraction of a cost. That was the vision, build a data platform. And ever since then, you know, you find product fit when you're a startup person to say, what are the key problems that we want to go after? And what we found was that Elastic, Elasticsearch stack that the company just went IPO for like roughly $5 billion last fall, is like air. And what happened was this text search technology um, became the logging technology of the last three to four years called ELK or, or Elastic Stack. The problem with the technology is that it's wonderfully expensive to run and it's complicated. And so the idea was that people only could store a few weeks of data to analyze because it's so expensive from a compute and storage perspective. So our idea was what if we extended our platform to the Elastic API and on their S3 data where they're storing all this log information today, mountains of it, terabytes of it, petabytes of it, and unlocking that data through this well-known Elastic API and visualization platform called Kibana. And once we kind of found that product market fit about a year and a half ago, everything started clicking. And the customers that were all asking for, I love this API, I love S3, 
I just have a scale limitation and I have a cost limitation that sounds like you guys can solve. So who's the end like customer or user of the product? Uh, the the, so as Tom said, Elasticsearch is everywhere, and it really came, you know, out, I won't say out of nowhere. They've been working on it for ten years or so, and it's it's a great success story. So Elasticsearch is, I mean, you, it's search for applications. So you want to find a Japanese restaurant near the north, you know, north end here. You go on your your phone, you look up. It's it's probably Elasticsearch under the hood that's doing all that work okay. and all that heavy lift. Um, but any um, any company born in the cloud in the last five to seven years is probably, you know, building on Amazon. Um, they're probably using S3 as a backing store where they're dumping data. Uh, they're probably using Elasticsearch or the open source uh, ELK stack, Elasticsearch, Logstash, and Kibana as their underlying logging infrastructure. And any of these SaaS companies, I mean, logs are pretty much what run the company. I mean, log data is just growing and growing and growing. Uh, and there's a bunch of a bunch of options for for logging out there. Splunk on the very high end, and these, these SaaS companies just can't afford Splunk. It's millions of dollars. It's focused on the enterprise, and there's a whole host of other companies delivering um, logging as a service. Companies like Sumo Logic, com companies like Logs.io, companies like uh, Paper Trail. There's there's a lot of assets out there to do that. So you could probably kind of look left, right, up the middle in Boston here, and everybody is running Elasticsearch. Pretty much all of the, the SaaS companies here are running, are running Elasticsearch. And um, a typical SaaS company that's a Series C company that's, I don't know, 150 to 200 employees, uh, they're probably spending anywhere between forty dollars and $70,000 a month on Amazon. EC2 mm -hmm. to kind of run the Elasticsearch that they're hosting the open source tools themselves. Wow. So our whole play is that's great, you know, for running kind of like your real time logging infrastructure. But all of these companies, as Tom said, um, they want access to that long tail of data and they just can't afford to do that right now with Elasticsearch because it's just too expensive because of the the connection of, of the SSDs and the HDs with the, with the database. So what our architecture has done is essentially decouple storage from compute. We've, we've built that data fabric around S3. S3 is, as Tom said, it's, 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 it's durable, it's scalable. Amazon is improving it all the time and it's super cheap. It's 23 dollars per terabyte per month. Super, super cheap. So um, what we can do is go to any one of these SaaS companies and say, hey, time out. Why don't you limit the size of your Elasticsearch environment? Take that forty to $70,000 down by 80% and really kind of run kind of a slim Elasticsearch environment. And then waterfall your data into Chaos Search. And, and let us pick up uh, the rest of it, that long tail. So you don't lose any of the query capability. You're using the same Kibana tool to look at your, your hot cluster as well as your now new warm cluster. So we can essentially um, open up the world of data to these companies while reducing the overall spend on logging infrastructure. So if you look at any of these companies, if they can save, I don't know, $30,000 a month, that's a big chunk of the margins over the course of a year. So that's And what that's what we've seen with uh, all these services. All these SaaS 
uh, offerings have a margin problem. And a lot is because of Amazon costs. You know, Elastic is free, but, you know, Amazon is not. You know, so our ability is to help drive down those costs. And data is the lifeblood of all these companies. They need to provide more scale, you know, the more information back to their, their customers. But the key thing is on your S3 account. We don't own your data. And a lot of people thought you can't make a database on S3. We store none of your data. It's purely trained. That's brand new. How do we do this with this unique technology? So the idea is that it's on your data, compliance, security. It's a really great story. And again, we don't want to own your data, but we do want to unlock the information and unlock it at scale with APIs you know and uh, at a price point you just can't beat. So, like for the log data, like what is the like they want to own the long tail log data. Like, but what do they do with that information generally? Yeah, so a classic case is like a denial of service attack, right? You know, your 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 company is storing say Cloudflare logs. They're storing it to S3 and to their Elastic cluster. A lot of our customers are already storing everything in S3 for the long tail. So we don't change any of that. But what happens is that they they realize something's happening, but they don't know why because they don't have that history beyond just a few days, let alone a few weeks. And so they know that it's happening, but there were signs a month ago, a year ago, that, that they, they, they had that insight, they could unlock that value, that would be a huge win. Also the statistics of that scenario. So a lot of these things about aggregating results is something that's missing. We provide access to long tail of machine learning information, like integration with TensorFlow. And ultimately what we hear as the big vision for what they want to use our service for, providing that information back to their customers. You know, right now it's every customer gets a little bit of information. Logs, as Les was indicating, it's just a lifeblood of all these services. What if you can now offer new features that you were so cost prohibitive, but with chaos search, it's now possible. And is the goal to eventually, like obviously Amazon is an ocean in itself, but to eventually, you know, uh, Microsoft and, and Google, like you, their cloud. You, you got it. So, I mean, S3 is king. Right. Amazon's where all the data is and the customers. However, we do get asked, um, hey, we want to be diversified. We want to be on Google. We want to be on Azure. So 100% multi-cloud, even on-prem. Our technology is a distributed fabric, as Les was indicating, and we can do indexing you know, at the edge and then move it into S3 for you. So there's a lot of capabilities where we could be a cross-cloud platform for the first time at extreme scale. So when I'm talking about you know, these databases are designed to store so much information, there's limits. With this technology, with this architecture, we're trying to break those limits and not create silos anymore. Connect those different data points together to ultimately you know, provide analysis. And one thing that we are doing beyond what is out there is we're bringing joins. The ability to take two different elastic <coughs> indices and do a relational join to create new indices that you can analyze. That's something very powerful and needed in the market. And you know, again, solve those today problems, but really offer new features and benefits that they haven't seen today. So you recently closed your Series A round of funding, nine million, led by some great investors, 406 Ventures, Glasswing, Stage One Ventures. So what's the current stage of the business, scale, you know, 
What's the snapshot Bro, of the yeah, business? What's the, right, and what's right. the plan moving forward? So um, we just moved into these cool new offices here across from uh, uh, the TD Garden, what we think is probably one of the big up-and-coming areas of Boston. Um, so we've got a place where we can hang for a while. Um, we, um, we've added about seven people to the company since we closed the funding. Um, we added uh, VP of sales. Um, we, we brought in Pete Cheslock. Everybody knows Pete Cheslock yes. from ThreatStack. Uh, uh, earlier in the um, in the, in the fall, um, we're starting to build out uh, the DevOps function. Uh, Tom's adding some more people in engineering. We're building out sales. Um, we're going to be looking to add uh, folks in marketing. We're in the process of onboarding our first wave of customers. Um, we're pretty early on. It's pretty early on in the game with us. Um, uh, we think we've got a pretty exciting future here. Um, you know, we're 13 people right now. I could envision. By the end of the year, doubling that, maybe maybe even bumping up around thirty, depending on how we're doing. So this is an interesting stage of the company, being that you know you're you have a product, you're onboarding new customers, and you're yep. starting to build out sales. So how do you figure that out? Like, how do you know what is the right sales channel for for your company? You know, you you don't really. I mean, um, it's a SaaS play, so um, um, I mean the um, we 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 know what market we're going after, we know the kinds of companies we're going after, we know the personas within, within those companies that we want to talk to, we've done a lot of work in terms of messaging around, you know, when we reach out to this persona, persona what to say, what the value is uh, versus versus another persona. So we're uh, we're doing a bunch of what I'll call uh, grassroots kind of heavy lifting brute force methodology selling right now. We don't have any marketing in place, that's the next wave. Uh, from a product standpoint, we're planning uh, a GA announcement of the platform sometime in uh, late Q1 is what we're thinking right now. So what we, what we want to try to do is kind of time everything uh, to bring in a um, uh, marketing function and start to resource that in, 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 in ahead of uh, a GA availability of the product. Um, there's a million places we can go with this. Uh, in terms of, of, of who we sell it to. We're seeing um, a lot of inbounds coming in. People are finding us. A lot of, uh, we're finding that there's a lot of interest from larger SaaS companies. Um, I won't use any names in this, in this interview here, but uh, bigger SaaS companies, bigger strategics that have reached out to us that are starting to test the product. Um, some of the original thinking was um, we thought that this would be an MRR of a thousand to two thousand dollars per month, and it's ten x that you know in terms of the opportunity. So it's much bigger. And the other thing that we're learning is data is really growing. So these 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 SaaS companies they themselves are growing. So a company that might you know in this quarter have uh, um, a requirement to process say two hundred gigabytes per day of, of log data coming in that might be four hundred mm-hmm. you know at six months down the line. So. We think we're in a good spot. Uh, you know, we've got some core technology, uh, very differentiated, with, with four patents, um, three already filed, um, and um, we're going on the journey. There's definitely some unknowns, as as, as there always are in, in in these early stages. But um, we're we're bringing in the right people, people who've done it before, people who have uh, got experience at the early stage. So we're trying to be be sensitive to that and bring in the right people, build the right culture into the company and uh, take one foot in front of the other. Well, it sounds like you're solving a major pain point in the market where data is only growing exponentially. You've got defensible technology with three patents filed and 
Uh, you've been working on this for three years? So the, the technology, uh, the technology for five, you know, yeah. again, it's one of those things being uh, an inventor, you put on the shelf and then wait for the market to catch up. Right. But three years as trying to build a company. Um, you know, what's interesting to, to Les's point is small companies are now doing terabytes a day of data. Wow. So it's, it's one of those things where data is so impossibly large that there needs to be a next wave of innovation. And, you know, again, we're, we're on the cuffs of uh, everything changing and this technology just can't get there and definitely not for the right price. So, um, again, you know, the IP is unique. The architecture is right on. Um, we think we found product market fit, but you know, it's early journey. You know, we're, we're working through, you know, the use cases and what really is what we want to resonate from a marketing perspective. Log and events at scale is a real pain in the market, but we are building a data platform, lack of a better term, a data lake architecture. Um, but we're going after this real pain point that people um, are spending a lot of money on and want more of it. Right. So we went through both of your backgrounds and you've had multiple success each of you, why do you keep building companies? Uh, <laughs> My I, I, wife won't <laughs> let me stay home. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the, the saddest point of, of, of any startup I have is that once it's complete or sold, now what? Right. You know, you need to keep alive and active, well, right? Like, and so, so what's the next problem? What's the next hard problem to solve? And then inspiring people to actually try to work on those problems. For me, that's why I love it. It gives you the passion, the desire to every day, you know, wake up and work on wonderfully hard problems, work with great people, build companies, build value. So for me, you know, you, you know, once chaos search makes it, you know, the heart is, uh, do it again, you know, figure it out. What's the next problem? You know, the interesting thing is the, the ups and the downs, it's a roller coaster, mm -hmm. and, um, the uh, adrenaline rush of a good day here is, is unbelievable, you know, so you, you, you get off a, a call that you, you know, so, so there, well, what I'll say is when I say the adrenaline rush, I mean, you talk to any entrepreneur and, and some days and weeks are just miserable. I mean, it's like, oh, why did we do this? Mm -hmm. And then, and then, and you could have a, a, a day where, you know, something comes in out of left field that you have a call with this opportunity and it just clicks and goes well and you're like, Wow, that that just kind of made my day. So that's that's one of the things you must see it too. Tom. Yeah, I, I do. But you know, it's funny. It's like if you're the one solving those wonderful problems that no one else has solved, it gives you this this rush of you know it, what you do matters. You have direct relation to the customer needs to your value. And at a big company, you're just not going to get that. It's a whole different experience. And my first startup was probably three years out of school and. I never went back. And then, you know, it's just one of those things where you just, that love, that drive, that that purpose. And again, it's fun. It's really fun to do, but it is hard. It's wonderfully hard. So it's funny when no one's, yeah, I can say I, I do talks once in a while, like, are you ready for a startup? Are you ready to be a founder in a startup? Completely different, right? And uh, I was once first in a startup. I got to see how much work that was, but as a founder and a startup, you know, but you can't beat it. It's something that is just wonderful. So, you know, you're, you're both problem solvers and the, you know, so like, how does your brain work? Because I imagine you're always kind of like thinking, right? Like constantly just, how do I solve this problem? Yeah. How do I solve it? So when, how do you decide which 
problem you want to solve and dedicate your time, effort, and energy and raise capital to go solve it? Yeah, I think it's all about what time is a question. So the idea is, you know, when it's a blank sheet of paper, you're looking for a, a major problem to solve. So that's that story. Like market, like market size. Market size, you know, what is what is worth solving? Then it's the, okay, what do you have to do to get some seed funding? And then from there, what do you need to do to get the A round funding? How to build a company? So every step of the way, it's a different problem based on your initial core premise. And the hope is that that core premise is landing where the market's about to land in a couple of years. And so, you know, every day and every journey and every step of the company, like we're a different company today than three months ago because of funding. And you solve different problems, but you're on the same core mission. And I like to say I like to hire believers because it's a long journey, it's a hard journey, and you have to hire people that can wear multiple hats um, and think outside the box for lack of a better term. Now, you recently closed your A rounds. The two of you had success. You have relationships into the venture community, so I'm sure meetings and getting term sheets wasn't you know as difficult as it is for first-time founders. So what advice would you give to first-time founders that are trying to raise capital? I think it's hard always. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's... You don't get the blank check? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a journey, right? So there's a lot more deals, I think, for the investors to look at than, than, than there are investors to service those deals, right? Okay. So I think uh, one of our investors said to me that they look at like 300 deals a year. A lot. And they write, what, 10 checks? And they write <laughs> four to eight checks. Four, yeah. And so it's it's really rarefied air to get, say, an A round. It's it's a pretty big deal. Um, so I would probably, and, and these are all lessons learned from the journey. I mean, um, you need to start early and develop the relationship with the investor community. You know, you know don't go in there uh, day one when you want to start raising money. Start a year earlier. You know, reach out to them. Just just get to know them. Go meet with them. Even if you're not fully baked on what you're doing, just go tell them that. Just say, hey, we, you know, we're working on an idea. You want to grab some time? And just go in and get some feedback and iterate on the feedback. Keep them, keep them posted on your progress. Um, that's that would be my advice. Uh, just just begin the relationship building and, early. And to double down on that, when you're innovating, you do something new. You have to educate. Because you're saying something that doesn't exist and you're hoping that the time that you need to raise funds, you have the data points as well as what's happened in the market. And it is a relationship. It is a long journey. Um, you know, I like to say if I cured cancer with a pill, I'm getting money right away. Everything else is just wonderfully hard. And, uh, you know, from my viewpoint is to the entrepreneurs that you have to be the person that they see is running through walls. You're going to do it and do it until you get it right. Um, it's not easy. It's not free. It's hard. And you have to come in knowing and expecting how hard it's going to be. And then they believe that you can see a problem, solve a problem quickly. Um, that's It's about who you are as much as the idea that you're trying to start. Well, how about building the team at, at this stage of the company? You've both been at companies at mm -hmm. scale. But when you're building the initial foundation team here, what's the... like? qualities that you're looking for in terms of the people that you hire? Well, so I'll talk on the tech side and let, let's talk on the other side. You know, the, the trick for me is this is a highly skilled um, team because of what we're building. We're not taking software connecting together. We're reinventing the fundamental aspects of computer science and theory and algorithms. So 
I've been building a, a, a team and colleagues over 25 years of doing hard stuff to say, hey, I'm doing another one of these uh, startups. You know, do you want in? And sometimes they're like, hey, I'm ready. Let's get back into the game. But these are wonderfully hard problems. And for those out there, if you're interested in solving hard problems, I'm always looking for you know some top-notch engineers. But it's really that experience at scale is what I'm looking for. Um, and you mature and nurture this over lifetimes. You know, my architect, uh, I, he was an intern when he was 16 years old. I've known him for that long, but all that training and knowledge um, is something that that it's really key for this type of product. So again, databases and distributed systems are a, a unique beast. Um, it's just uh, mentoring and teaching. So someone on your team was an intern for you when he was 16? That's right. So uh, David Noblet is, uh, is our architect over here. And uh, it's funny, um, his father was my first startup. So I worked for him and I was the hotshot kid, you know, and coming out of school, solving one of the hard problems. And he said, hey, I have a, I have a six year, oh, so I have, have somebody for an internship program this summer. I'm like, I'm like, oh, who is it? So it was, it's a high school kid. I'm like, oh, you gotta be Come kidding on. me. And, and, uh, but he was, he was a superstar. But even though you're a superstar, there's so much training, there's so much knowledge that it takes 10 to 15 years to really get into that experience. So that's the folks that I've been looking for to build out this team. So our team is very senior, but we're also looking to mentor the next generation of people who wanna solve these type of problems. So I like to say that for the team that we're building now, hopefully when they start their companies, you know, they do the same that, that we're doing here. So again, from a high tech perspective, looking for people who love solving hard problems. How about the rest of the company? Yeah, and to echo on, on Tom's point there, there, there's probably 50 people in the world that could build what he's building, mm -hmm. and we've got five of them here. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's uh, every stage of the company, I think, um, has, has different challenges for hiring. I think the stage we're at right now, we can be very selective, very, very mindful of culture, be very mindful of experience bring in people that we know in the network that we either worked with before or uh, once removed from somebody that we've worked with before. Um, and you can almost kind of handpick that first team. But I think as a company starts to scale and the flywheel starts to move uh, and you need to move faster to hit, either hit revenue goals or, or development goals, um, you you. You you got you got to maintain that same kind of consistency in terms of the checks and balances of who you bring in, but it gets harder and harder and harder as you you know as the company builds and builds and builds. And um, I, I've seen that at smaller startups that I've been with, and I've witnessed it at larger companies like Logman that's processing fifty people a month that they're bringing in. Um, so the challenges get tougher, tougher challenges. Uh, but I do think that. Um, it gets harder as I think the companies get bigger. How's the uh, the Boston tech scene in general? Like, are there companies that are on your radar that you just find interesting in general? I can't I hear about drift everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so they seem to be doing a good job yes, getting. Their name but out we there. have universities, right? The universities have a lot of creativity, a lot of innovation, and you know we're always talking about tech in Boston because there's great schools that do a lot of unique tech, and so um, you know Boston's not as big as you know. You know San Francisco and in, in the sense of like the tech scene or Silicon Valley or New York but it's got this great foundation of, of ideas and um, I love it I think it's great that's why we're here um, is uh, it's a great town pool to pull from and Boston knows databases we know how to build this this type of stuff so we're, we're pretty good 
It's uh, it is known for hard tech here in yeah, Boston. That's yeah. for sure. Well, Les, thank you for your time. Thomas, thank you for your time, for sharing all your advice, words of wisdom, your background, and obviously all the great companies that you founded or uh, helped build. And uh, hoping that Chaos Search is the, the next anchor here in Boston. Thanks, Thomas. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.